partners in the company set aside funding to invest in innovation. You shoot for crazy, there's a good chance you're going to get to something that, that's genius. Welcome to the Lights Podcast. It's leadership in industrial technology, education, and safety. I'm Mandy Henry, and today we'll be speaking with David Wilson, Chief Innovation Officer with Bechtel Corporation. So Bechtel is a large engineering procurement construction company. At large, we do about $30 billion in work off a year and have 60,000 employees worldwide, 120 years old, private, fifth generation owned and led by, the, by a family. Zach Parnell, CEO of Industrial Training International, sat down with David to discuss how Bechtel is tapping into the culture of innovation that already exists within the organization to unleash and drive construction and productivity to be safer and faster when getting the job done. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Mandy. I was fortunate to catch up with David at a lights event we hosted at the Bechtel Welding and Applied Technology Center in Houston. We started with some background on David and Bechtel and eventually explored the $60 million innovation fund that David oversees for the company. So my role as chief innovation officer over the last year, it's really been about tapping into the culture of innovation that exists in the organization and unleashing that to drive construction productivity and better, safer, faster, leaner execution on our job sites. Hmm. Awesome. What, uh, what did it look like to innovate before the innovation group that we're going to talk about kind of formalized? Yeah, so before it was happening on job sites. So typically you have a project, the project has a fair amount of autonomy to go execute for a customer. And every day our, our workforce, our craft, our builders, our non-manuals are innovating on a job site, solving problems. They come, coming up with creative solutions that advance a project safer, faster, leaner, and delivering for our customers. That's just what we've done for 120 years. What we've now tapped into with the Future Fund is allowing them, allowing that workforce and that population of innovators to be more experimental without risking project execution, taking innovation off of the project that's in execution, experimenting and exploring new solutions that we can then deliver to the project in a mature innovation fashion that can then scale across the organization. So it's allowed us to reach a little further into the future, but also scale the innovation across multiple projects, which in the past it was hard to do because it was typically very direct and purposeful for that project in execution. We're going to chat a lot about how ideas are created. Excited to hear about that. What is the future fund? So the Future Fund, two, two and a half years ago, the partners in the company set aside funding to invest in innovation, an R&D-like fund, if you will, for our organization. So the partners set aside money, invested it back into the organization, set $60 million aside over an initial three-year period and said, we want to go use this to unleash the innovators in the company and put it towards ideas that come up organically through the organization as well as experimenting with external solutions to find good fits for deployment. Terrific. How did you roll this out to how many how many employees? So 60,000. 60,000 employees. So how do you how do you communicate this new idea to the group and then how are ideas to then fed back into the innovation group? Yeah, so I, I would tell you, starting off, you went out, launched some crowdsourcing tools and platforms and tried to drive engagement and awareness. I, honestly, communication is is probably the, the more important sibling to innovation because, you know, understanding how where we're at collectively to in, then innovate from it is a challenge with a 60,000 person organization in jobs that are in remote locations that 
you know, email is is sometimes an option, but it's not always there to drive content. And so it's really, it has been a challenge. We launched a crowdsourcing tool that we use that allows anybody in the organization to submit an idea, and then it go, goes through the social you know, vetting and feedback, and then through an expert review. So year one was really about awareness. What are we trying to do? How do we get engagement? How do we drive participation? Year two, which we wrapped up last year, was about, okay, we've gotten 2,000, 2,500 ideas in, how do we advance those ideas from concept into deployable solution and accelerate that cycle time or, or maturation so we're getting ideas that actually impact work into the field and on a job? Yeah. So those 2,000 plus ideas, like, can you cross-section them for us a bit by type of projects, type of people that delivered them, types of ideas? Yes, so we've had a lot that tie into a call information delivery, if you will. So how do we deliver information to the, the work face, whether that's in design or procurement or construction more efficiently and effectively, whether it's a through a software application that's tailored to, you know, what role you you're in and how do you get to what you need to make the best decision you can. So we've had a, a fair number of, of call information delivery, innovation and suggestions. We've had a, quite a few number of physical innovation. So hey, different pipe support, different type of rack for shipping, you know, different type of uh, pipe configuration, different type of, of, of assembly. So we've had a fair number of physical innovation that we can deploy on on job site. And there's there's a lot of process there in between that's, you know, if we could do this differently or what if we eliminated this step or how about this that we have experimented and explored and then um, certainly bringing in outside technology that's used in other industries and applying it, whether it's anything from blockchain that's that's got a life of its of its own in finance and you know now into healthcare. How does that fit in construction? VR, for instance, you know, been used for a while in educational roles and purposes. What's the fit for construction? So a lot of those questions were posed, and we were able to experiment and try to find how they fit and can apply to our execution of construction. Did you receive any ideas that surprised you? Yeah, there's there's been a fair number of, and, and for a while, my benchmark for the crazy um, idea was inflatable scaffolding. And the reason I, that's important, <laughs> yeah, so, so somebody, you know, and it's, it's a great, great example of, you know, well, what if we had inflatable scaffolding? Think about how many problems that would solve and, and the, the safety benefits of it. I mean, it, it is a total radical idea. And, it, you, you know, the initial reaction, at least mine was, well, that's just silly. That's not going to work. But you start to pull that back and un unravel the idea and you say well there's some some of that might actually work you know there might be there might be aspects of that that we could work with and play with and so we've tried to communicate to the org and to the ideators and innovators in the, in the company that you shoot for crazy and just shy of crazy is genius and if you limit yourself to genius you're probably going to end up at you know good or maybe mediocre but if you shoot for crazy there's a good chance you're going to get to something that that's genius and significantly disruptive so here's a word from our sponsor i asked jim doris vice president of health and safety at united rentals how does the company think about its customers workforce development challenges a major challenge related to training and workforce development is in relevant and diverse content and training delivery methods. United Academy through United Rentals 1000 locations solves this problem. So what content and delivery methods does United Academy offer? Stick around to find out. 
go to unitedacademy.ur.com for more information. That's unitedacademy.ur.com. Now, back to the show. Inflatable scaffolding surprised me. The one that came up after that, that we've actually got into a working prototype, is an artificial cloud. So again, somebody puts in artificial cloud, you think, well, are we going to modify the atmosphere to create cloud? <laughs> and what, what are we seeding the atmosphere? What, what's the what's the plan here? You know, it's it's not quite that uh, that um, complex. It's really just how do we create cloud cover to reduce the ground temperature on a job site sure. for both the workers' performance, but also the process performance. And, you know, we've now got a prototype of that and, you know, it's coming along, it's pretty interesting. And so there's there's been ideas that I've stepped back and said, wow, that's that's crazy. It actually might be genius. Hmm. Incredible. So, the, so you've received about 2,000 plus ideas to date. Have they come from, um, have you found, you know, does Pareto's principle apply here? Are you getting some really innovative people that are driving a lot of the ideas or I'm curious about the people delivering the ideas yeah. to the group. What have you learned with there? Yeah, it, it, you do see Paredes. You see you know, how hot spots are hotbeds of innovation within the organization. And I, I stand by the idea that everybody can innovate and be creative, but in some cases it's a, rep, it's, it's a repressed muscle for a lot of us as we go mm. through school. In some cases, it's if we've been in a technical discipline, it kind of gets worked out of us mm. to some extent. And you have to go back and find some of that and, and develop some of that capability so that you're not limiting yourself on the creativity because of of maybe a technical expertise you step back and look at things differently and that's where design thinking and practicing and being creative and innovating and pushing towards crazy helps create more comfort for innovation i'm sure you've also had to enable and help people flex that muscle right so what have you learned about communicating things like failure is okay and those sort of things that are not usually culturally aligned to a maybe a construction company right per se you know no either the the silicon valley you know adage that you know fail fail fast fail often mm -hmm. it just really doesn't it doesn't one it doesn't resonate within within construction because of the risk aversion which is absolutely the right you know approach we, we can't have you know risky failure on jobs it's just it, it's just not viable but how do we take some of what is already in existence in other industries whether it's in you know, healthcare or in, in you know, and how they explore and experiment because they have the same risks. You can't fail on an operating table just like you can't fail on a job site. So how are they innovating? Well, there's a lot more that gets done in the upfront, you know, prototype, concept development, prototype, pilot, before you ever get to the job site to work through that learning. And so we've changed the adage to say we want to learn safe, fast and forward. And if you were to flip the word and say we want to fail, say fast and forward, I, I would argue that that's the case, but really it's learning forward and learning in a productive manner. And how do we bring that culture and make that okay to, yeah, we don't wanna, we don't wanna fail on a job site, absolutely agree, but let's go try to experiment and explore in a, in a lab or in a, a, an environment off of the job site. So our welding and applied technology center is a great example of let's go try some different approaches in that technology center figure out if it works so that we can then deliver it to a job site where failure isn't an option. The welding and applied technology center Dave is referring to was actually the facility we were in for the day. Serving as one of Bechtel's places to learn safe, fast, and forward, I couldn't help but compare the place to other historic R&D sites. 
There was Bell Labs in New Jersey that pioneered the transistor and the Xerox PARC facility where a young Steve Jobs first discovered the graphical user interface and mouse. These R&D facilities were home to some of the brightest engineers in the world and were responsible for pushing the limits of technology. By nature, R&D is high risk and high reward. So we explored with David how ideas are generated within Bechtel and how the company measures success. Yeah, so and actually the success, I'll start with that because that's pretty interesting. I think a lot of times the jump is to what's the ROI of this idea? And that's okay. It, every idea needs to, if it's going to be successful in the end, to deliver ROI. But really there's a different accounting and innovation accounting, I think, is a real thing. And it, Eric Rise presents it in the startup way, which is really pretty good around, you know, how do you track the, the maturity and the progress of an idea with some leading indicators that might not be ROI at the early phases. And so we've, we've adopted that and said, okay, you've got a concept. We think the concept has merit. It, it aligns with some of our strategic pr principles and objectives. So does it help us is it apply, apply to safety, apply to quality, and apply to productivity and physical execution? Yep, okay. Is it cross GBU, meaning does it affect more than one business, is, or is it a very business-specific idea? If it's multi, if it's cross GBU, it's a fit. Is it disruptive, meaning is it new learning? Is there a hypothesis that we need to go test and explore to, to demonstrate new learning that we haven't already established, or is it a replication or incremental? And if it's if it's replication or incremental, we we typically push those back to the functions and say this is probably a go do. You should consider. So that's the first gate that we go through. Mm. Okay. And then take us through the, the rest of the gate. So, so go and, and please go back to that. So if somebody can implement a quick solution uh, right there on the project, you're saying you can tell them go implement that and that's a that's your first gate? Well, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So if there is an idea that's mature enough and proven enough that we already know what the ROI is or we already know what the benefit is, then it, it, we, we turn it back to the functions, then project and, and indicate, hey, this idea has come through. It's vetted enough and mature enough and we've got enough benefit demonstrated from other applications or wherever else it might have come from. You should just make a decision to go and implement it because you get all of the benefit and you know what the cost to implement is. You know, go you know, make the decision uh, as a business decision on project or in function if you want to balance your priorities to go do this. And that's typically how we, so not every go-do that comes in is the same, is an equivalent go-do. And that applies to ideas. And we try to communicate that to folks that not every idea is equal. Some ideas will have so much potential for impact that they're going to get extra help and extra prioritization and mm -hmm. extra assistance. Other ideas, they're nice and they're interesting, but we're going to let the originator continue to work with those, they just may not get the help of the full organization to, to develop that. So if it's a go-do, we turn it back and say, okay, we think it's got merit, but you need to prioritize it and figure out if you're going to go do it now or, or later. Mm -hmm. And would that uh, employee have to get buy-in then from their project manager who managed the budget on that site? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because then it's going to get implemented right where they're at. And we would try to broadcast that and share that across the organization. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to learn more about our sponsor, United Rentals. Jim Doris, Vice President at United Rentals, had mentioned the diverse course content and delivery methods offered by United Academy to solve workforce development challenges. Let's find out more. With over 350 plus unique course titles that are delivered at over 600 United Rentals locations and online and through VR simulation, United Academy boasts the single largest training and qualification reach in the construction and industrial skills training industry. 
To learn more about United Rentals and United Academy, visit www.ur.com. That's www.ur.com. Now back to the show. In speaking with David Wilson, Chief Innovation Officer for Bechtel, the world's largest construction company, we delved into some best practices David and his team have learned that he wanted to share with others. Yeah, so a few few things. So you need the space. And when I say space, you need people to have the bandwidth to think and be creative and, and have the the safety to question and to explore. So if if you're so focused on job security and you know, professional safety, you're probably not going to be as disruptive or innovative as you could be. So giving people the space to innovate, having the resources to then go and fund the innovation so they're not actually trying to solicit funding from projects because what will then happen is we will only get the we will only get innovation that meets the project's current needs today and has scope for that project. An inherent system level reality that builders face in deploying innovation is that the nature of the business involves managing economic returns at each distinct project. These realities make it difficult to justify project level spending on innovation that pushes the limits and might not bring immediate return to a given project. Next, we discussed if and how Bechtel has built a taxonomy around the types of problems that need solved. David describes two major areas, including delivering resources to the work face and safety. So it kind of goes back to the first. You know, we look at how do we affect time on tools? How do we affect the productive time for our builder population at the work face? And that could be a function of getting the, the tools to the work face, getting the material to the work face, getting the people to the work face, or getting the information to the work face. So how do we do that? as efficiently and as, as effectively as possible, and then give them the power to control their own destiny. So do they know what they need to get done? Do they know how, you know, what, how their performance is accurately tracked? Are they empowered to flag constraints and action those that are supposed to be helping them? You know, how do we create tools and structure that allows that, allow that to happen? Because mm -hmm. I really believe that our builders, you know, want to do a great job, are, are, are really, you know, passionate about what they do. And it's almost just how do we get out of their way and make sure that they're not constrained in doing that, whether it means getting information, tools, material, uh, and resources to the work face. And so that's, that's one way we look at the construction piece of it. And then there's the safety and quality aspect too. So are there things that we can innovate around that eliminate dropped objects or eliminate, you know, working at heights or eliminate working, you know, near or, or around loads? Are there things that we can do that eliminate the potential for, you know, a person equipment machine, you know, interaction that, that never ends well. So how do we leverage technology and innovation to you know, really make zero a reality when it comes to, to safety mm. and, and accidents? We have some internal applications that we have been working on that are tailored towards our, our builders that allow them to, again, access resource, schedule, you know, plan, execute differently. So those, we've got applications that we've been developing internal that now are on, I think, 11 projects at the last count that have gone from concepts into prototype, into pilot on a few jobs to prove the value and the merit that we now have deployed on 11 projects and are working on scaling. So that's an example of where we, you know, we had a need. There wasn't anything that was off the shelf that we could configure or that we could customize or we, could, we thought really met how we executed. And so we went and developed some solutions that we're now deploying and that's a, that's one example from a software perspective on the on the hardware there are some examples where 
you know, there's a couple of these where, and I'll, I'll kind of have to I'll speak generally because there's a couple that are still going through the patent process because there's a mm. couple where, you know, our engineers identified that there was a different way to do um, fittings. And so we funded the exploration and the testing and proving of a new fitting that they, they fabricated, they tested, they evaluated, they went through and got all the you know, engineering testing and search for that is now about to go into production at a at a fabrication site where it went from concept again we funded concept we funded the fab we funded the certs we funded the testing funded the proving and now it's about ready to go into production and it could have significant impact and benefit to um, some of our our approach to piping right so that's an example mm. of a physical one and then looking on the external and i'll, I'll just use iti just no reason other than I think it's a good example. Sure. So, sure. ITI, we identified, it's probably been a year, year and a half ago, the promising, the, the VR capability around simulation. Liked it. You know, I think it's got a ton of potential for training. We had the right business stakeholder, Jim Nolan and BEO engaged. Uh, and so I think it really resonated with the, the potential for us to deploy it with real benefit on how do we train or how do we validate training before we send somebody to a job site? How do we make it more experiential? You know, how do we do all of these things without without the cost of putting somebody you know on location in a piece of equipment and had a ton of potential and benefit, but it didn't have some of the scenarios and some of the equipment that we wanted to use. So good example of okay, more or less an off the shelf solution, but that we wanted to deploy, but didn't have all the scenarios that we were interested in potentially deploying on our jobs. It's just because of the pieces of equipment. And so through the conversations, you know, could we prioritize what got developed next so we could deploy those other pieces of equipment in the simulation to our job sites, had dialogue and conversation around, you know, how can we help expedite that development so we can deploy this solution more broadly and work through that, that agreement and that discussion around, um, could we get these developed? Can we deploy it? And that was an example of where we, we participated in co-development or strategic investment to expand the portfolio for our benefit, but I think also you know, helping ITI get more to market quickly. So that's a, it's an example of you know, where we're trying, to, we're trying to be a good customer for startups and for you know, solutions externally. We're not necessarily interested in being equity investors. You know, we're, not, we're not investing for investment's sake when it comes to external. Our partnership, and our partnerships externally are really geared around how do we co-develop, how do we become strategic partners so that we can be a customer for a very long time of the solution where we may not have the ability, the means, the methods, or even the desire to build in-house. David's team works out of Houston where the innovation group started. So we explored what that looks like today and how they think about managing innovation groups worldwide. Really, it's a collaborative space, right? So it's a, it's a space that we can have startups, we can have partners, we can have customers, we can have collaboration happen and and come together. So when we say Houston Innovation Center, really it's a space, right? It's, a, it's an environment that we can bring people into and collaborate around and do uh, demonstrations and do innovation exhibits and expos. And that's worked really well. Why, why Houston? Well, this was just the start, right? So we now are working to replicate in Reston where we, we have our corporate headquarters. We have small footprints in London where we're doing the same thing. thing. Our new Delhi office has an innovation center in their office where you know, they're you know, exploring different technology and working on new solutions and bringing folks in to, to demonstrate. We have a small footprint in our San Francisco office. So they're, they're, they're now hubs in different locations that allow us to have space to go to, to 
a beachhead, if you will, to go innovate and bring people around to, to discuss you know, how can we execute differently? So that, that's a part of the innovation mm -hmm. center. There's no magic to it other than it's a place for people to come to. You mentioned your customers several times. Have you engaged your customers in a formal way with the innovation group and how, how so? Yeah, absolutely. So we've had a, a, diff a couple different ways. So we have had customers come in and we've walked them through what could be, what, what's a tailored approach to your project look like using the innovation that we, the real innovation that we have in the pipeline. That's important because a lot of folks will talk about innovation theoretically and, and, and you know f futuristically we bring them in and show them we say okay this is exactly what it looks like this is the experience this is how it would be deployed you know let, let's make this an experiential presentation around innovation for your job site bring them in have that conversation that, that's one aspect when there's a specific project involved others are we want to go collaborate around safety or around sustainability or around diversity and inclusivity. Let's get around a table and, th and talk about how can we co-develop or collaborate around these, these key values for all of us to drive the, the, the industry forward through innovation. From the customer's view, we, we, we offer the opportunity to go actually test some things that they might be exploring or thinking about doing, whether it's you know, new approaches to um, VR or new approaches to, to torque or new approaches to um, you know, documentation or data or any of that, you know, we can be a, we can be a proving ground if we collaborate and they can help expedite the adoption because they can drive, you know, the requirements. One final question. If you could isolate uh, the single biggest problem that you feel needs to be solved in the next decade in construction, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, great question for the last question. <laughs> Thanks for that. So, uh, you know, single biggest problem, I, I think that, so when we go back and, and this is the, I've kind of shared this in a couple other cases. I, my view is we have been stuck in this chasm between document centric workflows and data centric workflows for probably 10, 15, 20 years. And so you think about it, okay, I'm doing a lot of digital content and, and data centric work on the design side, but it never makes it to the field or it makes it to the field in a reduced, less effective fashion. But we're still doing all the documentation. So we actually found, we've, we've found the worst case scenario where I'm doing all the paperwork and we're doing all the digital enhancing and entry. So we're, we're spending more hours, less produ productive, taking more time and energy. So I think the best thing that can happen for the industry is that we find a way to get all the way up the curve on the data centric execution across the whole value chain, which really requires the customers, you know, owners and operators, the builders, the designers and the small suppliers to find a way to interoperate between you know, data platforms and data standards. You know, how do we get out of issuing objects on drawings and how do we get rid of that archaic approach to where we can really drive information to the workface, wherever that workface might be to make the best decisions possible. So if we can crack that, there's a lot of things that can happen relative to machine learning and big data and AI and just making better decisions and more productive time at the work face. And you can get tools and equipment predictively to the work face. A lot of, a lot of very interesting things can happen if we can crack that, that industry wide data centric problem and get out of document centric. So if we could all rally around that, I think in the next five years, I think we'd see a phenomenal shift in the productivity curve that has really hurt the industry. And then if we've done it intelligently, then we can plug new solutions into that foundation that we can continue to iterate and enhance and, and move forward and improve upon. Sure. 
you know, we're excited to see that. We're excited for your work. So thank you very much for spending time with us today. No, thanks. Great, great to chat. Really appreciate it. I'm Mandy Henry. Thanks for listening. For additional insights on upcoming Lights events, please visit our website at www.lights.org. Lights is a production of Industrial Training International. Our guests today were David Wilson, Chief Innovation Officer of Bechtel Corporation, and Zach Parnell, CEO of Industrial Training International. Our producer is Michael Montaigne. I'm your host, Mandy Henry. Thanks for listening.